The Las Vegas Grand Prix overcame a rough start to finish strong. Everton received a massive penalty that has them fighting for their place in the Premier League. Lamelo Ball has a tattoo decision to make. And later we're speaking to the newest investor in NWSL champions Gotham FC. It's Monday, November 20th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Las Vegas Grand Prix has come and gone. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. So great to have you. Uh, the race weekend did not start as planned, but how did it go all in all? It finished on a much better note. Uh, once the race actually happened, after all of the months of buildup, after all of the concern and local outcry and the issues Thursday night during the first rehearsal, the race itself came off very well. The visuals were great, had a very competitive race. Uh, Max Verstappen won again, 16th time in 17 races, but it was a close finish. And even Verstappen himself, who was a uh, noted critic of the whole scene a few days ago, came away feeling great about the whole situation, was looking forward to next year. Yeah, and that's notable just because Verstappen was such a curmudgeon about the whole yes. thing leading up to the race. And for him to come out and say, actually, this was fun. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Um, you know, it's it shows that the race itself, you know, had something to offer for these guys. Well, and it gets to the actual uniqueness of this original concept. And yes, it was a tough thing to pull off. And there was a lot of disruption to the local Las Vegas residents. But um, again, once you actually got to the race itself and having those kind of visuals and having the uniqueness of that in-town course laid out the way that it was, uh, you know, those are the things that were contemplated at the very beginning of this thing when this deal was put together a uh, year plus year ago that, you um, finally got to see some realization of that original vision yeah and, and you've you've touched on the locals you know not necessarily being thrilled about this whole thing you know not to speak for all of them all at once but right um, yeah there, there were some grumbling is that something where we might see adjustments going forward well, we'll see what happens next year. That's going to be the real sort of where the rubber meets the road. No pun intended <laughs> so that, uh, you know, that there was all of this repaving and months of, uh, you know, local construction and, you know, disruption in terms of people being able to get around, particularly in and around the strip. What that actually looks like for year two, uh, that's going to be very interesting to see because we'll see sort of a teardown and there are some elements that could be even past Christmas before it's fully torn down. We'll get into the spring, but then once we get to April, May, June, it's going to start going to be time to ramp up again. And to what degree the year two ramp up has to look like versus year one, there are certain things that you only have to do the one time. Um, but I'm going to be very interesting to see to what degree that year two buildup can be streamlined again for the benefit of the locals. And speaking of year two, year two tickets are already on sale. Yep. Liberty Media maybe aimed a little high on the pricing for year one. Uh, anything of note so far for yeah, a two hundred and fifty dollar uh, grandstand ticket for year two, which is just a fraction of what it was for year one, and that puts it much more in the reach of ordinary Joe fan. And that was the thing that was kind of contributing to some of the uh, the bad vibes and the uh, secondary market depression for this go round. That it was being seen very much as a corporate event that was. Out out of reach of your ordinary fan, but to have a $250 price point uh, for next year, that makes it much more approachable. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned at the top there were some issues at the start of the race. That was uh, for the Thursday practice run. Yep. There was a loose manhole cover that damaged two cars and caused them to stop the practice after you know not very long. Um, there is a lawsuit related to this. Yep. What do we know about that? Yeah. So. Um you know, if you, you sort of buy the three day ticket, uh, you're supposed to be able to get the two days of practice in the race itself. And after that issue with the uh, uh, with the storm drain cover and, and uh, closing off that first practice to um, to the fans, it essentially um, was a closed event. Um You've got a clear situation where these fans didn't get what they paid for and. There was a, an attempt at a make good in terms of merchandise credits. Uh, but again, this sort of speaks to the overpricing issue that we talked about before, that the attempted make good was a $200 voucher to the uh, merch stand. Well, the pricing was such that $200 would get you one hoodie. And so uh, that's sort of the fulcrum of the complaint that, you know, I was supposed to be able to watch a full practice and giving me a hoodie in, in exchange. That's not what I paid for. And that's not an equal exchange of value here. So there's a, a lawsuit that's going to uh, attempt to sort that all out again on that sort of base complaint of these fans who didn't bought the entire weekend pass, didn't get the full extent of what they paid for. Uh, I ex would expect there's going to be some kind of settlement here. Uh, what that exactly looks like, we'll see. But you know, we're, we're talking numbers at this point in terms of whether it's a, you know, cash refund, you know, tickets to a future race, free pass to next year, however it sort of manifests itself. Um, I can't imagine this thing going to some sort of full trial. Um, but, you know, the lawyers will sort that out and we'll see where it lands. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a classic case of no one wants store credit. They just want the refund. Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. After many months of speculation, the Premier League has finally handed down its first penalty for financial fair play violations, and it may knock Everton out of the league. Premier League teams are not permitted to lose more than $130.8 million over a three-year period. Everton has admitted to going over that line by $12 million for the period ending with the 2022 season. The Premier League says it's more like $24 million. The key dispute revolves around loans for Everton's new $700 million stadium, which is under construction and set to open for the 2024-25 season. Many Premier League teams have found that a new stadium can take team revenue to the next level because they get more money from tickets, concessions, sponsorships, and that allows them to better compete under the financial fair play rules. But Everton violated those rules, and now the Premier League has handed them a 10-point penalty that puts them in a tie for last place with Burnley. They have time to crawl out of that hole, but if they don't, they are getting relegated. The punishment is also a warning shot to 1st place Manchester City and 10th place Chelsea. They are also accused of violating financial rules, and the Premier League could soon take them down a peg. Charlotte Hornets guard LaMelo Ball is continuing a very unique family tradition. The NBA is requiring Ball to cover up a tattoo because it violates the league's policy against commercial promotion. If you feel like you've heard that sentence before, it's because LaMelo's brother, Lonzo, of the Chicago Bulls, also had to cover up a tattoo for the same reason. Lonzo's case was fairly clear-cut. He has a tattoo of the logo of his big baller brand on his arm. He had to cover it up. J.R. Smith ran into the same issue over his tattoo of the logo of the streetwear brand Supreme, which is not his company. He just felt a kinship with the brand. 
The unique wrinkle with Lamello's case is that he got the tattoo before it became a logo. The tattoo is of the letters L and F, which stands for his middle name, LaFrance, which is also his uncle's name. And after he got the tattoo, LaFrance became his lifestyle brand, and the LF is its logo. Lamello now has a unique set of choices. He could remove the tattoo, cover it up for every game in perpetuity, change the logo of his company, or pay the NBA's fine every game, which he can afford after signing a five-year, $260 million contract extension last July. Up next, I spoke with Carolyn Tish Blodgett, who led a new investment in NJNY Gotham FC. She is also a member of the Tish family, which owns half of the New York Giants, and she spent four and a half years as an executive at Peloton. She brings all that experience to the NWSL and to her current role as founder and CEO of Next3, a company looking to find opportunities in the changing sports media landscape. That conversation is coming up right after this. Very excited to be joined by Carolyn Tish Blodgett, founder and CEO of Next3. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. So we're going to get to your your recent investment in NJNY Gotham FC in a moment. Uh, but first, I'm um, just curious, what is Next3 and, and what do you, you know, what does that company do? So I started working with my family, Lori, John, Steve, Tish, representing our ownership interests in the New York Giants a few years ago. And as part of that role, it became clear really quickly that there is so much so much disruption happening across sports, whether it's changing media consumption habits, whether it's expectations of fans around what a live game experience should be, whether it's how fans expect to engage directly with players on digital and social. So there was obviously so much disruption happening. And we made a decision. We, we were kind of at a crossroads of, do we want to sit back and watch this disruption happen around us? Or do we want to have a front row seat to this disruption and even help drive some of it? And so we started Next3 as our sports investment arm to really, again, have a front row seat at the table with the disruptions happening in sports. And what sorts of companies are you looking to invest in through Next3? So I would say our, our mandate's pretty broad in the sense of we want to understand disruption wherever it is happening across the sports landscape. So as I said, whether that's on the media side, whether that's on the fan side, technology, new stadiums, the role, the, the goal really in, in having Next3 is to be able to understand where can we add outsized value as strategic investors, know, you know, with, with the New York Giants, with Gotham now in our portfolio as operators. I have a you know, previous experience on the operating side. And also, where do we want to have a front row seat to listen? Where do we feel like we can really, you know, there's a lot for us to, to learn from these new companies disrupting sports. Yeah, I mean, I imagine the challenge there is figuring out what's the the hype that's just going to be, uh, you know, a three month phenomenon and what's, you know, the next big trend that is going to be defining over the next few years. Exactly, exactly. When I th- when we started Next3, we thought about, you know, we've been in sports ownership for the last 30 years. We've had it, we, you know, we've been a part of the, the growth of the NFL. Now we're sitting here thinking, what are the next 30 years look like? Where do we think, how do we think people will be consuming media or sports, sorry, and media? How do we think, what are the teams and leagues that people are going to be watching? How are people going to show up to live events? And thinking about, to your point, what are those really sustainable trends that will that will evolve over time. 
I mean, I feel like the, the general trend there is, you know, more social media, more highlights, more short form, um, and more fractionalized, you know, more, you know, I want to watch with, you know, with this creator or on this platform, um, you know, not necessarily the mainstream broadcast, but obviously some people want the mainstream broadcast. Is that the general picture you're seeing or, or is there another ingredient you throw in there too? I think those are, those are definitely all ingredients. I would throw in the role of, of live events and how do people want to consume live, you know, what, what does it look like to go to an event in person? Am I ordering, you know, what, uh, what is the future of ordering, you know, food and beverage for my seat? What does it mean to be a part of a community event? I think, you know, we all live in a, in a digital, digitally focused world, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to show up to things, events, to things in person. I think if anything, those become more important. So what do those experiences look like and how do you grow a community within that landscape that you just described? You can finally now get to the the, the big news, which is uh, you're leading an investment in Gotham FC, which just won the NWSL championship. What drew you to this team? So as I said, we started our this sports investment arm uh, called Next3, and we really spent the first year in listening mode. We said, you know, as I said before, where are those disruptions happening? And sign after sign pointed to women's soccer and the NWSL in particular. So then we started diving into the NWSL. We spoke to a bunch of teams. We met a lot of the other owners, and including Gotham. And we just we were continually impressed by what the current ownership group, the foundation they had laid for success. We um, were really impressed. Obviously, this was before they won the championship, but with what Yael and the Gia, her team were doing on the soccer side. And we felt like there was a massive commercial opportunity here. As a lifelong New Yorker, uh, when my grandfather bought 50% of the New York Giants, uh, you know, 30 some odd years ago, he, this, there's this sort of old story in our family of he's, he would say, I had, he had a hundred, why would I buy a hundred percent of another NFL team when I could buy 50% of the New York Giants? And that was very much our mentality with Gotham as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and could you unpack a little bit on what you saw in in Gotham's leadership and how they're situated that, you know, made them such a good opportunity? Sure. I would say, you know, when I, when you think about women's sports more broadly, for so long, they just haven't been a part of the conversation. You know, think about what's driven other the success of other sports teams and you know, visibility is number one. When you turn on the TV, you're going to stumble upon a men's sports game. You're probably not going to stumble upon a women's one. So there's been this massive visibility issue for so long. And then there's been a massive investment uh, issue as well. 99% of investments go to men's sports. So for so long, women's sports have just not been a part of the conversation. And But you are, we are the, on this precipice where things are starting to change. There are these early signs. You know, when you dig a little bit deeper, you start to see these, these early signs of things changing. There were 25,000 people at the championship game this past weekend. That's a record. They just announced a new media deal that's 40 times the revenue of the past one. All of a sudden, you know, you're seeing sign Angel City is a model on the sponsorship side. They'd sold $5 million worth of jerseys, jersey uh, sponsorship deals. And so there's sign after sign starting to point to the, the groundwork has been laid for women's sports to really hit the ground running and become a massive commercial success. So you've been a strategic advisor with the New York Giants. What um, what learnings from there do you want to take into Gotham? 
So I've been a part, my family's been a part of the ownership um, with you co-owning with the Mayor family for the last 30 years of the New York Giants, one of the most storied, uh, you know, successful franchises in sports. And so I've gotten a front row seat to seeing the beauty of fandom, you know, from, from the front uh, for 30 years. And so I, I think, you know, what we see day in and day out, I spend every Sunday with my family at the New York Giants games. In fact, I actually wrote my college essay about three generations of women bonding at football games. And so, you know, every week, regardless of what happens on the field, those fans are showing up and they are, you know, they have an Eli Manning tattoo. They've named their, their future child after Phil Sims. They have, they've passed down generations of, uh, you know, tailgating trucks that, that they bring every week. And so fandom is such a core part of a successful sports franchise. And I see it with Gotham. They have it. It just has to get bigger, but that is absolutely, I think, you know, something that I think we can bring from the giants and, and bring over to Gotham as well. And you mentioned the you know groundbreaking new NWSL media deal. What do you think that's going to do in terms of the league and its ability to expand and reach new fans? It is groundbreaking. And it is number one, it is visibility. To be able to, you know, there are four different media partners, to be able to turn on CBS to, if you're, if you don't watch on linear TV, you turn on your computer and you watch Amazon, you all of a sudden are going to be finding women's sports in a way that you've never been able to do that before. So that, the the idea of that and, and why I think all of us feel so bullish about it is that it is going to introduce an entire new subset of fans that women's soccer has not been exposed to before. And in terms of just where you want to see Gotham and the league go next, are there sort of some concrete next steps that you're looking forward to this league taking beyond that media deal? Yeah, when I think about the opportunity at Gotham, it reminds me so much of my experience at Peloton. I used to run marketing at Peloton for four years. And when I got to Peloton, it was really the world's best kept secret. It was absolutely the best product that nobody had ever heard of. And that's so much of what I see at Gotham. These players, the product they put on the field, they are best in class. They are literally World Cup athletes that nobody knows are playing right here in our own backyard. So when I think about what what made us successful at Peloton, I would say I would point to you know three areas really on the marketing side. So the first was around um, making these players into sorry, making the instructors into stars. So today, you know, we take for granted Robin, Ali, Cody. These are all household names. We have an opportunity at Gotham to do the same thing and make these players, Lynn Williams, Allie Krieger, Midge Purse, make them into household names as well. The second piece is around the fan experience. So again, at Peloton, we had this incredible product that we had then to go build an end-to-end consumer experience around it so that people would go tell all their friends about it. It's the same opportunity at Gotham. We have an incredible product on the field. How do we go create a fan experience around it so that everyone wants to tell their friends? And then the third piece is the community. The community is what drove Peloton's success. It absolutely can be the same thing at Gotham. There is this incredibly strong fan base today. They had a marching band that flew themselves out to the championship game, Cloud Nine, because they wanted to be there at that game. We need to take that same loyalty and that same community and help grow it. Do you see the the league, you know, gradually expanding and, you know, becoming one of these, you know, something maybe closer to NFL size at some point? I think the world of Jessica Berman, who's their, their the league's commissioner, 
she has brought in, she has done both on the business side and things like the new media deal, both in bringing in new investors that really believe in this league, believe in investing in this league, and absolutely feel there is no reason that this league cannot be one of the best in the world, if not the best. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good note to leave it on. Carolyn Tish Blodgett, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. That's it for today. Subscribe and listen every day. We're giving you lots of good conversation starters for Thanksgiving. You just need to come in with a few good ones and then you're prepared. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.